In our lives on this day, the Lord's day, we can assemble in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and call upon your great name. That we can enjoy, Lord, the salvation from you. Lord, we praise you this day. We sing these songs proclaiming how great you are. And you are. You are God. You are the Lord Almighty. And we praise you for you are our God. You first loved us. You came to us. You purchased us back. Father, thank you. And as this psalmist proclaims, you are the creator of all things. You have set everything in its place and for its time. Lord, we also acknowledge that you are the holy God in all your ways, in all your attributes. Lord, your holiness demands justice. And you are the just. You are the just one, and you are the justifier of all who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, this morning we praise you. There has been a moment in history in which Christ has come, he has lived, he has died, he has resurrected, he has ascended, and we know he's coming back again. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace, your mercy today. And Lord, as we come before you into your throne room of grace, we take time as your children, as your church, to confess our sins that often, Lord, easily entangle us. We know we are redeemed, we are justified because of the work of Jesus, yet we, we struggle with remaining sin. We acknowledge, Lord, this moment, and it's important for us to understand that all our sin is against you. Grieves you. So, Lord, we ask, we ask that you'd forgive us and that your spirit would continue to reveal, Lord, hidden sin or justified sin, things that we've overlooked or things that we're not willing to look at. Bring about, Lord, uh, that moment. Reveal it to us that we might confess, that we might repent, and we plead, Lord, by your, the activity of your spirit working in us, that you bring us to mourn over our sin, that we would grow in our holiness, that we would be a peculiar people that bear your name. We plead for your grace, Lord, your mercy, that in our lives and how we live, we would be content. Lord, we plead that you would continue the good work you've begun in each of us. Be faithful to your word. So Lord, that brings us to thanksgiving. We know you are true to your word. You change not. Thank you, Lord, for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came, he lived, he died, he rose, he ascended, who is now our mediator. We thank you, Lord, that he even acts as our intercessor, our intercessor continually. And again, Lord, thank you for the day in which Christ will return. We look forward to that. Now, Father, we pray. We pray for your church as we look forward to that day. And while we are here and while you have given us breath, that we would honor you, that we would not be those people who forget you, who forget their, their pledges and their vows. We would be those people who understand, Lord, who you are and honor you with our lives. We pray, Lord, that you'd have mercy upon your church this day, that you would bring about an awakening to your word, a desire for your word, a desire for holiness and purity, Lord, a desire to be bold in proclamation. We pray for your, uh, Lord, your workers around the globe, our missionaries, that, Lord, their needs would be supplied and met. Uh, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering for standing for Jesus. We pray, Lord, you comfort them, you would strengthen them, Lord, that they would be an encouragement to us. We pray for us, Faith Community Bible Church, Lord, that we would take up the banner of Christ. We would take it up into our community to our homes, that, that following Jesus would not be what we do on Sunday, but it would be who we are every day. So we pray, we pray that your church, your children would impact our nation and our state and our community, those who rule over us, we pray for them, we lift them to you, we ask that you would turn their hearts towards what is right and just. We pray, Lord, for... Um, even the non-believer, that we would have impact, that we would have testimony. Lord, we pray that this day you would mature us in the faith for your glory, for your kingdom. 
We pray, Lord, for your activity in our lives, for the needs we have today, the, the weights that maybe be on our shoulders or our cares and our hearts. Lord, whether they be physical needs this morning or spiritual needs or financial, whatever it might be, Lord, we simply in faith and obedience cast our cares before you. We pray over, Lord, families today and marriages. Be strengthened, encouraged. We pray, Lord, that while we are here, you would grow your kingdom through us. Lord, we ask that you would show your salvation. We would see the lost come to believe. Give us that heart and that desire. Lord, we also take time to pray over the offering this morning that those prepared to give, whether in the box, um, in the back, or online, that our heart would be a heart of worship. Praise to you. Thank you, Lord, for meeting our needs, continually meeting our needs. But Lord, let us be those who are not defined by our resources. We are defined by you. It is an honor and privilege to give. Lord, thank you. We pray all this, Lord, and the cares on our hearts this morning, we, we give them to you. Pray that you be Lord over all, and we know you are. And we pray it in the awesome name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, at this time, I'd like to dismiss the children to Children's Church. And for the rest of us, who are clearly young, but a little bit older. Clearly young, but not that young. We can say it like that. Uh, would you turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4? Malachi chapter 4. As you're turning there, I'll just mention this week was a, a, a week of excitement and yet, uh, I wouldn't say bitterness, but a little bit of, of sadness. Me and my middle son had the opportunity to fly out to Oklahoma on Monday. And we, uh, my oldest son picked us up at the airport in Oklahoma City at late. And uh, I know some of you have that joke. Wait, they have airplanes in Oklahoma? Yes. <laughs> some of you are thinking that. He picked us up, and I got to spend the day. I had the, the joy of spending the day of one on Tuesday getting Levi ready, my middle son, for college. Uh, going, to, you know, he, I kept asking him, what do you need? Ah, I've gotten this. I'll get it when I get there. That's Levi. I just roll with it. And I'm like, there's some things you need for school, son. Let's go get those things. And so we got him squared away. And then on Wednesday, I got to spend the time with my two oldest sons. Noah took the day off of work and we got to enjoy that. And uh, Thursday morning, I got up at 4.15 and Levi told me he was going to get up like around the same time. It was like 4.50 when he got up. I'm like, okay. It's the only one up. So, um, but Levi, or Noah was gracious as well. He got up with us, and we were able to pray together, and I uh, got to kiss his noggin one more time. And, and me and Levi hopped in his truck, which is an older truck. It's a 94. It's so Levi, uh, Chevy truck that he had. We had it tuned up. He was ready to go. We're driving to uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and it's 5 o'clock in the morning. It's dark, and it, this is from Duncan. We're in Duncan, Oklahoma, and there's a little town next to Duncan called Marlowe. It's about 20 minutes away, if that. On the other side of Marlowe, we have a blowout in his truck. And one of the tires just came apart. And he had new tires on the truck. He was like, these are new tires. And I'm like, did you buy some Maypops? I mean, what are these things? Um, but I think something got into the sidewall and it blew out. And I could see a little bit with our flashlights on. He was a little bit frustrated with that. But we began to take the spare down. But the Lord was good and gracious. There was a gentleman pulled in behind us, helped us. We got, got it squared away. And we made it to college. We dropped him off at Spurgeon College on Thursday. And then after we got him squared away in the dorms and went through all those things, uh, had a night in a, a next to the airport at a, at a hotel. And then I caught a shuttle at 05-something in the morning. It was early. And then flew home by myself on Friday. So it was a long week. But I, I had this moment when I was there, they had at 2 o'clock, when, when Levi was going through orientation, they had this moment where they were going to talk about all those things in the dorms, and they had this big meeting in, uh, in the, their chapel, and to which I was sitting in there as well. And, and of course, they're giving all the rules, you know, please don't burn the, the dorms down, you know, those kind of, you know, none of that stuff, we don't do that, um, which was funny, but it was good. But they also had 
Uh, two of the security guys there give up and talk about how fast you can drive on campus. And I was like, did you hear that, son? All right, watch out for that. Um, but one of them in particular, which strikes me, which brings me full circle to the message this morning. Um, the chief spoke and his assistant, and he said, you know, they, they emphasized as security guys, we are here for you. We're here for you, you know, whatever you need. But he said, we believe our job is to keep you safe so you can pursue your studies so we can see the kingdom of God go forward. And I don't know if you've ever, ever heard of that from a security. I just didn't, it struck me. I mean, we had born-again believers as security guys. I thought that was like, man, amen. And I thought on that moment, it, just, it struck me because here's a guy wearing a gun and he's got his uniform on and he's like, you know, we're here to keep you safe so you can actually do your studies, right? And, and elbowing Levi, do your studies. And then, you know, so the kingdom of God would go forward. And I think for us, we are people who want to see, I believe, you with me want to see the kingdom of God go forward. Well, in this passage this morning, I know it's, it's an odd, God's day of reckoning is the title of this, but this needs to be a motivator. It is, it is important that God's kingdom goes forward because there is a reality of every soul. Every soul, the greatest need of every soul is, is reconciliation with its creator. And God has told us, and even in this, this scripture reading we've just read, the psalmist is touching on fire that devours uh, the wicked who will be cast out. But those who seek after the Lord, who fear his name, there is this element of hope, of, of eternal life. And that's, that's the reality. Every soul will spend eternity in one of two places. So this must be a motivator for us. And uh, here in a moment, I'll talk about the context briefly about Malachi. But he says these words. Let it resonate in your heart this morning. He says this, Malachi chapter 4. It's the last book of the Old Testament before you get to Matthew, if you're, if you're unsure. But the first three verses say this. Uh, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But, here's our contrast. For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. As we look at these verses this morning, let's offer a brief prayer. Father, we ask that now as we look at your word, that your spirit would teach us and, Lord, make us... uh, just ever active in our testimony and our witness. The reality, Lord, is there will be those who will burn eternally. And while we are breathing and with the same conviction, I know we have shared of of Charles Spurgeon that if hell must be filled, let us be those people with our arms around their legs begging them to repent. So, Lord, use this message for your glory, to stir your church, to stir our hearts, to comfort us as well, but also to motivate us to speak your truth for the time that you've given to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this passage of of this short verse, actually, in the the Old Testament, um, there has been a problem that has been raised, and Malachi is somewhat addressing it. The Lord is addressing that through Malachi. And it is this idea, namely, that there are the wicked who prosper. And those who are righteous, who are pursuing righteousness, are suffering, and they feel unjustly. And so those who are looking upon this situation are reasoning this out and thinking, well, uh, if the wicked are prospering and the righteous are suffering, well, there's no real benefit to serving God. 
Maybe you felt some of that in your own heart at times. I see others. I'm struggling. Lord, where are you? So they concluded that the arrogant seemed to be blessed. They got away with evil deeds. Uh, they didn't appear, there, excuse me, there doesn't appear to be a God, who, at least a God who is a God of justice in any means. They even asked for that. Where is he? We demand justice earlier in the letter. And so they conclude it's a waste of time. Why go about living this righteous life of the Christian in the New Testament? Why am I picking up this cross and following if all it does is bring about hatred from others or judgment or awkwardness or whatever we might attach to it? You may feel a parallel there. And so to counter this, Malachi has shown that God remembers. He is aware of every soul that fears his name. He has created every soul. Of course, he knows us, but he, Malachi is stressing to us that there are those who, who have followed after, right? God in the Old Testament, we're following after Christ, our Lord and our Savior. He knows you. He knows your hurt, your suffering, your, your situation, and Malachi stresses in these verses a radical difference between the two, definitely pertaining to where they end up. It doesn't paint a very pretty picture of, you know, think of calves dancing around and on ashes, roots, not just the branches, the roots being consumed. And we see that picture is what he's, he's given to us. And so we see those who do not fear, who are arrogant and wicked, who do not fear, this is their destiny. Those who do fear the Lord, we saw in our scripture reading, it is the salvation of God that comes, those who, who remember me, who fear my name. And of course, Malachi is comforting the righteous. So for us this morning, what are we to, to glean? Just three simple points. And I've got plenty of time. Do you too have plenty of time? I don't know how to say that right. but The first point is I want to stress to you that God's day of reckoning is inevitable. He says, for, there's his reasoning, for behold, the day is coming. Now, I realize this statement, just like in Malachi's day, doesn't invoke much fear from people today. We see it in the day of Malachi. There is this question of, yeah, where is he? In Peter's letter, Peter addresses those. We'll, we'll read that verse in a little bit. Yeah, where is he? And imagine today we have the same response. Yeah, where is he? But, what is, but look at this passage. What does uh, Malachi stress for us? We see that the day is coming in verse 1. And again in verse 1, we see the day that is coming. And verse 3 underscores it as the, uh, on that day which I am preparing. Three times in two verses, God is stressing the reality there is a day. Every soul will face the inevitable moment of standing before your Creator. To say this is not true is to call God a liar. And yet you can say this to many, and maybe you've, you have that moment where you stressed it to somebody today who's a non-believer, and their response is just, say, sirrah, sirrah. Is that Doris Day, right? Oh, I'm old. That was before my time, though. Okay. There was a story of a lady on the Titanic when it was sinking. When it was first starting to sink, there were those who were actually getting some of the ice off the iceberg and throwing it at each other and even putting it in their drinks. Can you imagine this moment, not knowing the, the, the devastation ahead of them and yet so close to judgment and having no care in the world? That's kind of where we see a lot of people today, don't we? But here's the warning, and the warning is from the Lord of hosts. God himself is speaking this. He is the one who will sit on the judgment seat. He is the one who rules over the universe. Just as the scripture reading says, he has created all things. He is going to be the judge of everything. All inclusive, no loopholes. Jesus in his ministry on the earth referenced the ultimate moment of judgment. I'm just going to read through these. This is not exhaustive. 
Just so you know, he touched on this ultimate moment of judgment uh, in the rich uh, fool in Luke chapter 12, the wise and foolish builders of Matthew 7, Luke 6, the sower, Matthew 13, the wheat and the tares, Matthew 13, the, the barren fig tree in Luke 13, the dragnet, the counting of the cost, the unforgiving servant, the prodigal son, the dishonest steward, the rich man and Lazarus, the wicked vineyard uh, workers, the great banquet, the wise and the foolish versions, the sheep and the goats. It's not exhaustive, but he goes on and on. He touches on this day of ultimate judgment. Uh, to skip it and say, oh, it's, it's you know, uh, we've, got, we've got time. Or, he, you know, he's full of grace and mercy. He'll love. No, he's telling us. He's going to sit on the throne. Paul has said this to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Paul's message is preaching at Mars Hill, Acts 17, 31, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, meaning Christ, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. So clearly this points to a moment, a singular moment where God confronts, God judges. Malachi mentions the day, the coming day, ultimately four times, chapter 3, 17, 4, 1, and 3, and again in 5. So the focus is undoubtedly God's final universal judgment. There is a culmination. This is going to happen. And the irony is that the people who should be paying attention to this are the ones who are scoffing at it. Peter says this, I reference this verse, I'll read it now, 2 Peter chapter 3, 3 and 4. I know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. We've probably heard those words, hey, tomorrow the sun is going to rise. And of course you respond and say the sun never rises, the earth rotates, you know. But it's going to come up. But what is the world in which we live in? The world is trying desperately to deny the inevitable. The thought of a judgment seat, the thought of God, the thought of hell, we, we place that out of our minds. Uh, we don't even talk about those things at, at a funeral. We don't address it even there. We won't talk of these things. It is said that at the, uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that there have been at least, I think up to this point, 59 fatalities at this racetrack. And there was a driver by the name of Scott Goodyear, and he was asked about that, these 59 fatalities. He responded by saying this. He says, you don't go look at where it happened. You don't watch the films of it on television. You don't deal with it. You pretend it never happened. But the reality is the speedway operation itself encourages this approach. As soon as the track closes, the day of an accident, a crew heads out to paint over the spot where the car hit the wall. Through the years, the driver has never been pronounced dead at the track. It also goes on, this little clip says, a trip to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Racing Museum located inside the two-and-a-half-mile oval has no memorial to the drivers who've lost their lives there. Not even a mention. So this is our world. This is what is happening. This is the denial. This is where we live. But yet it's a day that is inevitable. A day that is coming. The book of Revelation makes this point that there are those who will be uh, just enjoying their lives in, in luxury and sensuality. And then in verse 18 of, of excuse me, verse 10 of chapter 18, Revelation says, in one hour judgment has come. I mean, we hear the words of Jesus in our mind, tonight your soul is required of you. Yet we live as if that's a ways off. But the Bible is clear. The judgment being delayed is an act of God's mercy. Today we have 
breath and life to repent. It's given us time to repent. It's given us time to believe. I've had a person tell me one time, you know, how do I deal with this situation? I won't go into the details of that. And, and as they specified that, I, I said, you don't realize that even this moment, the fact that you're breathing, I mean, there is hope of redemption. But once that's gone, just as the scripture reading says, there is no one to deliver. This should be a sober element for us. We have loved ones. We have coworkers. With I'm sure there's people you know that this, this, this is the reality. There is that inevitable moment of standing for the king, and they're going to stand there based on their own merit and works. Well, as Malachi goes on, the second part of verse 1, this is what they can expect. This is the terror for the nonbeliever. A day is coming burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But who can endure the day of his coming? That's rhetorical. And who can stand when he appears? Rhetorical. For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Those who should fear this coming are described as right, the arrogant and evildoers in verse 1 and the wicked in verse 3. So Malachi gives us a little picture here. We have those as, as arrogant, a sense of, of those who have a self-importance. We understand that word. But here it is to include an exaggeration of uh, somewhat of defiance and even rebelliousness. Uh, I don't need God. I'll tell God you know, what he can do. Uh, we will replace God altogether. I will be God. Uh, we see that in, in this whole uh, sexuality revolution that is taking place. Uh, we're not going to tell uh, God that it, you know, we're born male or female. No, and now it's non-binary and uh, we can be cats and dogs and, and whatever else, males, females, all at the same time. I don't even know what the list is up to, but it's lengthy, right? What are we doing? We're standing at the tree of knowledge, and we are pointing our finger at God and say, I will tell you what I will be. It's arrogance. This is what Malachi is touching on. He also uses the word evildoer and wicked. has the same Hebrew word. It points to evil thoughts, words, deeds contrary to the character of God. So we get a good picture. Well, this person standing against God. He's arrogant in his ways. He has wicked ways attached to his life. He's self-reliant, self-centered. And there's this element of entitlement. If there is a God, he owes me. Some of you may have heard that today. There's a God. But see, the Proverbs says, Proverbs 20, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So the arrogant person thinks that he's good enough. Good enough unto myself. I'm good enough to make it into heaven. I'm good enough in God's sight. This is, this is all I need. So the non-believer fails to understand the, the absolute holiness of God. Uh, the non-believer doesn't know God can understand that. The non-believer can understand how corrupt in his own heart he is, how depraved he is. He establishes himself as his own standard. And he thinks it is good deeds, right? I'm, I'm good. Now I want to stress here in a moment that this this definitely applies to every non-believer who rejects the idea of God. That goes without saying. But I also want to stress that this also applies to the non-believer who thinks they're saved. There are times, you know, I say this often, and maybe you're tired of me saying, oh, he's saying it again. There's solidarity with Christ. The believer has solidarity with Christ. When the Spirit dwells in you, he points to Jesus. 
That when the Spirit dwells in you, the church becomes something you love. Why? Because Christ loves the church. Holiness becomes important to you. We begin to mourn over our sin because we love Jesus, his commands. We delight in his word. These are the things the Spirit does in us. These things naturally happen. If the Spirit of God is in you, there's solidarity. You pick up that cross. doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you have a direction. That's what happens. There are many who will say to me, oh, I've, I prayed a prayer once. Well, let's talk about your life. When's the last time you've gone to church? Uh... So it's important for us. There are some who are really good at faking the faith. Do you understand where you're at? Do you, in that moment, because you and I stand there as well, and, and my last point is it's comfort for the believer. We want to make sure you're on that side and not on the terror side. Jesus will say in Matthew 7, uh, many will come to me, Lord, Lord. Uh, we do not want to hear the words, I never knew you. We want to hear, well done. So it's important for us. God sees the heart. They're not going to fool them. I think we think that sometimes. I can pull one over on God. Satan thought that. Maybe his followers think the same. But listen to how God describes them. We see the word chaff. We see the word furnace. Day that is coming will set them ablaze. It will be so hot it leaves neither root nor branch. God's giving us a picture. There's no one who's going to recover from this. I don't know if you've ever burnt your hand. I burnt my finger one time on a waffle iron. Thought I was just grabbing the side and it blistered up really quick. Have anyone ever burnt your finger? Okay, imagine that exponentially magnified. But see, this is what we do today. We don't like that idea, this, this idea of, of a good and gracious God who would send people to hell. Number one, he's not sending anyone. Our covenant leader, Adam, blew it. God told them, the day you eat of this, when you disobey, sin comes, there will be death. This is what's ahead of us. But think of Jesus who comes and fulfills both sides of the covenant for us. Becomes a man. For an amazing God. But even this, what do we do today? We don't like that idea. So there's different ideas regarding hell. And one of them is annihilationism. We just think, well, yeah, there's a hell. There's for an appropriate time, but they're not going to burn forever. Uh, there's just a moment when then they cease to exist. That makes us feel better about it. For those who struggle with this idea, but listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 25, 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Are we to weigh those together? Are we to think that eternal punishment ends and eternal life ends at some points? Or do we think eternal life carries on and punishment doesn't end? I think Jesus is saying both are eternal. A soul is forever. Revelation 20, verse 10, And the devil who uh, deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What about you? That sounds like a really long time. Verse 15 of Revelation 20, And if any, uh, anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So I don't know if we use these ex excuses to maybe uh, think, well, they'll be okay. I don't have to evangelize. I don't know. But the Bible is very sobering regarding this. We want to make sure our souls are right, and we want to labor while God gives us breath, that we would see others come and believe on Jesus. We can't change hell to fit what we think it should be. Another excuse is universalism. This was popular with the emergent church. Uh, Brian McLaren, Rob Bell were associated with that. That's evolved into what is called today progressive Christianity. I always think it's humorous. 
They have no uh, doctrinal standard at all. They, they don't care less whether Jesus was born of a virgin or not. It doesn't really matter. But the one thing, the only one thing that they are completely sure about is that there's no hell. That to me sounds like a lie from the pit of hell. That's the one thing. They're not sure about anything else but that. Universalism. What that means is that simply everyone will be saved. Everyone will make it. Here on earth right now, this is hell. I want to be clear. The worst day you have on this planet doesn't even compare to one day in hell. And the best day you have on this planet will not compare to heaven. Equally true. See, what the universalists do, they put God's love above his justice. See, God must punish sin, otherwise he ceases to be good, ceases to be just, he ceases to be holy. He says, I will leave them neither root nor branch. See, the arrogant do not repent. This is God's eternal punishment. Those who scoff at God should be fearful, although they seldom are. But I want to stress to you today, if you're a professing Christian, you're not seeing growth in your sanctification, call upon the name of Jesus. Paul tells the Thessalonians and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. Call upon the Lord Jesus. Flee from the wrath to come. Repent and believe. Paul told the Corinthians, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't go another day. God has given you mercy. You are breathing today. And let today be a day of repentance and belief. And enjoy the comfort. This is his last point. God's day of reckoning will be comfort for the believer. All things made right. This is what he says, verses 2 and 3. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day in which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. So here, Malachi wants to encourage you. If you're seeing the wicked prosper and you are pursuing righteousness and there are those who are attacking you or you feel frustrated in it, he says, be encouraged. The Lord knows your name. This is comfort for God's people and should motivate us in our evangelism. We want to be people of God who take his word seriously. We want to be full of grace and mercy and patience and kindness. We want, to, we want to respond to every question with love. We want to be those people, but we don't want to, to simply negate what it says about the wrath of God. Those who have not repented today are under that judgment right now. Malachi said in chapter 3, verse 16, it's those who fear the Lord. Those uh, who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him to those who fear the Lord and esteem his name. God's people are those who, who fear him, a right reverence of him. We come and we sing these songs. We bow our heads. We cry upon him. We are those marked different than the world. We meditate on his word and on his name, thinking about who he is and how he manifests himself in all his attributes. He is not just God. He is our God. And he reigns over all. Our, our Lord Jesus is not just Lord. His Lordship is over all. This is his world. We sang the hymn. It's my Father's world. I love that psalm where the psalmist says, it is not right, as God says, to take my words in your mouth to the non-believer. They're his words. His truth. So this is what we receive. The believer, so the subpoint has no fear. No fear. 
The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 10.31, it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. We have fallen into the hands of our Savior. Now, I want to point out the enemy may bring some anxiety here. This is the enemy loves to get God's people to sit on their hands, be inactive. You can't speak to that person because you yourself, just look at you. Look at the train wreck of your life. How do you think you're going to talk or witness to anyone? Some of us buy that lie. We must be like John. So we respond to that. That's a lie bouncing around in your head. Here's a scripture verse for you. Revelations 12, verse 11. And they overcame him. Lowercase h. The enemy. Because of the blood of the Lamb. Because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. See, God's people know who they are in Christ. Satan, you can bring that sin up, but it's already been cleansed. It's already been dealt with. I cling to the cross. Sins are gone. I fear no judgment. I have been declared righteous. I am justified. There has been a great exchange. There's been a moment in my life where God the Father took that gavel and he hid it down justified because Christ Jesus said, I will purchase that soul with my blood. And at that moment, my sin was imputed to Jesus and his perfect righteousness was imputed to me as if I myself fulfilled the law. That's a wonderful truth. That is good news. That's the justification. Yes, we live in life as we work out our sanctification. We will struggle, but we have been adopted. We have the Spirit of God in us where we cry out, Father, heirs with Christ, heirs with God. That's exactly what Paul is saying in Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. We are children of God. Christ is our elder brother. I've said this many times Grab onto it. Don't be upset at me that I've said it many times that if God the Father will always love God the Son, He will always love whom the Son has spilt His blood for eternally. Paul, speaking of Jesus to the first letter of the Corinthians 1, 30-31, but by Jesus' doing, by God, actually, by God the Father's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Is that your boast today? I pray it is. The believer has no fear. The believer also has complete confidence you can look at this and study these passages out. Who is he talking about? He's looking forward to the Elijah who will come in verse 5. That's John the Baptist. John will come. There will be a day where John comes and he will proclaim the coming of our Lord. Malachi is looking forward. Even though there's 400 years of us being patient from the old to the new, Christ is coming. John will come. Luke 1, 77-79 says, To give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What a gracious God. So what do we have in Jesus? Jesus brings light to a dark world. So our salvation begins at the moment the Holy Spirit regenerates us. The Spirit makes us willing to believe, but we continue on in our sanctification. We continue to grow. 
The world lives in darkness, spiritual darkness, but yet Christ has opened our eyes. Colossians 1.13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Christ, has Christ shined in your hearts? Do you have that confidence? Christ also brings healing to a broken world. It's one of the devil's lies. We think that sin is what brings some satisfaction in life and righteousness is some type of restrictive thing. I have to follow him. I don't know if you've ever had the flu. I hope you've never had that, but I imagine many of you have. When your bones ache, that day when the sun, right, if you're out in the sun, the sun shines through you, how you feel better. That's an earthly illustration of spiritual truth. Sometimes we walk through things when God's light shines on us, brings healing to our broken world. We find despite the situation may continue, we have hope. Because that's what Christ brings. He brings hope to our world. This is what we have. This is what we proclaim. Outside of Christ, there is no hope. We also see that Christ brings joy to a sorrowful world. He's the object of our faith. It's not happiness dependent upon the situation. It is Christ who is constant. This world can end, and I know I will be with my Lord. God has sent a Savior. He has redeemed me. Christ brings justice. And this is what Malachi touches on, isn't he? You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day in which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. See, there's times in this world, and we may not know why God allows or permits the wicked to prosper and to the, the righteous to suffer, to emulate the suffering of our Savior. We walk through situations. We walk through valleys. We have moments of mountaintops. But there will be a day of justice. There will be a day where, where all the wrongs are made right. There will be a day of reckoning. It's God's day of reckoning. A perfect justice will prevail. Every sinner will be judged according their works, their life, the righteous will rejoice. It is not wrong for us to desire that day. Like the picture of John, of the, of the souls in heaven who had been martyred, who were crying out, how long, O Lord, avenge us. And God tells them to rest a little bit longer. The number of martyrs is incomplete. See, God's final answer to this problem is, is simply the, the, the prosperity of the wicked will come to it and it is inevitable. The unjust suffering, everything will be set right. The coming of the Lord. So this morning I encourage you are, you, are you looking for loopholes? Are you looking for, for some type of justification of not going and speaking and living and being and being bold for the truth? Are you thinking, well, maybe next week I'll work on my sanctification, or I just do that on Sundays, or Sunday something, I simply go through the motions. I, wherever you are at spiritually, let this challenge you, grow you. God's wrath is an inevitable day. There will be those who will be in hell forever. Let's be sure we are not. Let's be sure that we can... And speak to those who we know who need Jesus. We cannot save them, but we can plant seed and water it. We're going to close here by singing a song I, th I think we all like, Is He Worthy? And I just want to read the first verse to you. It says, Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? And we do.
But do you know? Are you convinced? Do you have conviction that the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish you can see it all made new? There will be a day of reckoning. It's inevitable. Terror for the non-believer and comfort for the believer. Be encouraged, be strengthened, be edified. Be very mindful of those you come in contact with. Let's be a voice. Let's be those pointing to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word this morning as it challenges us. We want to be those, Lord, who are kingdom-minded, to realize that our life is not an accident. Just as, as your word says in the scripture reading, you've created all things. You've created us. You've set everything in its place. You've placed us where you want us. So let us be mindful, Lord, that we are to live for you. We're to be a light in our workplaces. We're to be light in our, our recreations. We are to be a light in our families. We're to be a light in all our relationships. We're to be a light everywhere we go and what we do. And Lord, this is our desire that we would see all the wrongs made right. We would see justice happen. But Father, we pray that while you give us breath, that we would be those begging people to believe, to repent, to flee from the wrath of God. Because this day is inevitable. We don't know when, Lord, but we know your word is true. You do not lie. It will be terror for the non-believer. And yet, as a believer, we, we don't fear it at all. But Lord, let this word, let it motivate us. Let us be those who are kingdom-minded. Let us labor that we see your kingdom grow. To that end, Lord, we commit our lives. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray all this in the powerful, precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, before we, uh, we sing this song, I just want to mention if there's um, any questions regarding the sermon, like my, make myself available to that. If there's uh, prayer requests, you'd like to come up and pray, and I'd love to do that for you. Uh, but more importantly, if you're unsure of your, your walk with the Lord, uh, then let's, let's talk about that. Let's make sure we're saved because it's a confident person in the Lord who's a confident proclaimer, I'll say it that way, of Jesus. So be sure that you're in the Lord. Uh, and again, I'll be up here, or my information's in the bulletin. Let's set up a time to meet. Um, the, uh, real quick, also, those coming to the, to the membership meeting will be in room five, I believe, I think. Did your wife set it up in five? You don't even know what your wife did. Okay. I think it's in five. Anyway, we'll figure that out. Stick around. Uh, but let's one more time lift our, lift our voice. Sing this. Uh, it's a simple conf confession, right? He is coming. There is one. A lion of the tribe of Judah. There is one. And he is worthy. So let's stand one more time. Lift our voices as we close.